0: you're listening to a podcast
1: from columbia christian fellowship in columbia pennsylvania our services are weekly at 10 a.m we hope to see you there
2: It's one of those songs, I don't know about you, but that's in my mind now for the rest of the day. (laughs) You never stop, you never stop working. Just goes through my mind and through my mind the rest of the day. Even though we'll probably play a song or two before we leave, that'll be the song that's in my mind. Any of you? Same? So we're in a series through Acts, the book of Acts. And as you know, We cover the topics as they come. When you go through a series, you cover the topics as they come up. We love the easy stuff. We preach that. But we don't shy away from the hard stuff. We preach that too. Amen? Amen. Let's begin with a brief review. Last week's text and title, Acts 16, 16 through 18, Authority and Deliverance. Not one of my favorite topics to preach on. On which to preach, but it came up in our series through Acts. We talked last week about a demonic encounter. Make no mistake about it, they are very real things. We don't see too much of it today because we don't call it that today, not because it's not existing and it's not out there. We talked about a demonic encounter, and we talked about the authority of Christ to overcome the demonic. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. Paul and his companions were on mission with Christ. They were trying to reach lost souls in the city of Philippi, and they ran headlong into a fortune teller, a psychic. She begins to harass Paul. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. So one day, on the way to church, opposition to the gospel arose. You never hit opposition on Sunday mornings when you're trying to get to church, do you? Anybody here? Never? Nope. Lionel Richie, familiar with that name? He sang easy like Sunday morning. He either didn't go to church or he didn't have kids. One day on the way to church, opposition arose, opposition to the gospel in the form of fortune tower, a psychic operating in the area. And we discovered from the next verse that it was demonically inspired and it had to be dealt with. This went on day after day until Paul got so grieved, exasperated, but grieved is a better word, that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. And you know, this is one isolated instance that we're looking at. It's all through Scripture. This is not an exception to the rule. Paul dealt with it in the authority of Christ, the authority that Christ has given to his followers. We talked at length on that last week. We're not going to talk about it again this week. But one interesting note. He did not speak to the girl. He spoke to the demon within her. He spoke to the demon involved. Instantly it left her. Not a three-hour power encounter. The demon instantly fled the scene at the name of Jesus. The girl was delivered. History has it she became a follower of Christ, part of this newly forming church at Philippi. So the topic was authority and deliverance, or the authority of the believer in Christ to deliver those who are oppressed by sin and Satan. End of story, right? No. Wrong. Much more to the story. Are you interested in hearing the rest of the story? Want to know that? Learn something? Of course you do. That's why you came here today, or you'd be home, or you'd be out on this beautiful day doing something else. So let's move on to today's message. The title is Bad News, Good News. Ray Keck, will you come? Congregation, if we'll stand. If you've come here regularly, you know the drill. We'll stand and honor God's word as Ray reads it to us. Acts chapter 16, verses 19 through 34.
0: Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet into the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prisoner's door wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself, but Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas then he brought them out and asked sirs what must i do to be saved they replied believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household and they shared the word of the lord with him and with all who lived in his household even at the hour of night the jailer jailer, cared for them and washed their wounds then he and everyone in the household were immediately baptized he brought them into the house and set a meal before them and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in god
2: thanks ray you may be seated good news bad news or bad news good news actually Well, look at the bad news first. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and they dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Well, first thing right off, that last line is not even true. But they're teaching customs that were illegal for the Romans to practice. But that's not surprising. It's not surprising. Evil has no problem lying. Evil has no problem falsely accusing others unjustly. We see it in our society today all the time. One of Satan's names is the accuser. He falsely accuses the brethren. And Jesus said they, those who are the evildoers, those who would follow their father, Satan, he said they take after their father. He is a liar from the beginning, and deception is his true nature. So it's not surprising that they actually lied about Paul and Silas to the, to the officials. So the bad news is they grab Paul and Silas. They drag them before the authorities. She's delivered, the fortune teller girl. She's delivered. She's no longer telling fortunes. Therefore, she's no longer profitable to her former owners. So they're not too pleased with Paul about that. They're not taking it very well. They physically dragged Paul and Silas to the authorities. Now they got the government involved. And when I read that, I'm like, oh, no, nothing good ever comes out of when Christians are involved. The government's involved with Christians. And I was right. It didn't. The bad news gets worse. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. So the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. Then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon. You actually would have to read this to get the feel for it, but it's not Lancaster County Prison. I can guarantee you that. It's nothing like the prison system we have here. You're thrown into an inner dungeon, there may or may not be light. You may or may not be fed. There are definitely vermin and reptiles and stuff in there with you. They didn't care about prisoners. Even though there's screams for prisoner reform today, they didn't care about prisoners like we do today. They didn't get any medical attention. They weren't warm in the winter and and cool in the summer. They were thrown into the inner dungeon, and to make matters worse, their feet were clamped in stocks. This is Paul and Silas serving God on mission with Christ. So the corrupt businessmen lying and deceiving and stirring up mob violence got Paul and Silas severely beaten thrown in prison into the inner dungeon clamped in stocks. Try to imagine what that would be like. Just try to imagine what that would be like. Yikes. Ouch. Just an FYI. This is what can happen to those who challenge the powers of this world With the power of the name of Jesus. This is what can happen. To those who challenge the powers of this world. The world, the flesh, and the devil. With the power of the name of Jesus. The world, the flesh, and the devil rose up in opposition to the gospel. Some of you here have already experienced this. In your kingdom service for Christ. Many of us may very well experience it in the days ahead. This is what can happen to those who challenge the powers of this world. With the power of the name of Jesus. Just so you know. That's the end of the bad news for now. We'll move to the good news. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake. The prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner flew off, fell off. Think about this. Not just ink on the page, but try and imagine the reality of what's going on here below the ink on the page. They had been physically manhandled and dragged away from the church. They had been severely whipped and beaten. They were hurting. We tend to read that and think, oh, you know, that didn't bother them. They were hurting, just as it would hurt you if you were whipped and beaten. They were thrown into prison, then into the deepest, darkest dungeon part of the prison, and just to make sure their feet were clamped in stocks. Yet around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And when I read that, I said, no big deal. That's probably what most of us would have been doing. That's supposed to be humor, folks. Is that what you would have been doing? Well, whether we would be doing that or not is debatable. But the fact is, that's what they were doing in the midst of this situation, they were praying and singing hymns to God. In the midst of all that adversity. You know, we face a lot less adversity to that. And we usually aren't singing and praying and worshiping God in the midst of it. At least speaking for myself. Their worship, their praying and singing brought about God's powerful intervention. Huh! Maybe if we were praying and worshiping and singing in the adversity, it would bring about God's powerful intervention in our lives and in our situation. He doesn't, at least from what I've found and from personal experience, he doesn't usually respond to moaning and grumbling and complaining and woe is me. We can do that all we want, hoping he's going to feel sorry for us and it's not going to work. So around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God. The other prisoners, prisoners were listening. That's important. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake. The prison was shaken to its foundations. The doors immediately flew open. It's, the chains of every prisoner fell off. Interesting. There's no historical evidence that can be found of a massive earthquake in that area of the world during that period of time. It says the prison was shaken to its foundation, but there's no damage recorded away from the prison area. There was no earthquake that hit Philippi. There was an earthquake that hit the prison. Are you following this? It's like an extremely localized earthquake. Like if it was Columbia, there'd be an earthquake at 3rd and Locust and only there. That's where our police station and prison prison is. Only the prison was affected. And if you start to look at the damage, again, not just the ink on the page, but think about the damage that was caused by the earthquake. All the doors immediately flew open. And all the chains of the prisoners, of every prisoner, fell off. (laughs) You're following the thinking. How did all the doors fly open? How did all the chains of every single prisoner fall off? That seems rather strange. In damage from an earthquake, usually things collapse in on themselves. Bodies are found under the rubble. Doors don't fly open. God is brilliant. How did the doors open and the chains fall off? I'll tell you why. Because it was not a natural earthquake. Let me see what the next slide is. Yeah. Because it was not a natural earthquake, it was a supernatural shaking. Because God intervened on behalf of his people. Because they were praying and singing and worshiping in the midst of adversity, rather than feeling sorry for themselves. And moaning and complaining and grumbling. God intervened on behalf of his disciples. God intervened to accomplish his kingdom purposes, he had a plan. I guess when, when they got physically hauled off, beaten, thrown in jail, thrown in the inner, du- inner dungeon, plans, uh, feet in the stocks, they figured, wow, we're so far off of God's plan, it's crazy. God had it all incorporated into his plan of what he was going to do and how he was going to amaze everybody and how he was going to bring great glory to himself through it. Are you with me? I mean, are you excited about this? Excited about our God and what he can do and what he will do or at least might do in your life? We don't expect it. We don't see it because we don't expect it. In the world, seeing is believing. Yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. In the spiritual realm, believing is seeing. You'll see it when you believe it. They knew their God. They knew the plan was still in full effect, even despite what was happening to them. So God intervened first just on the behalf of his disciples, whom he loved, even though this was all happening to them. And he intervened to accomplish his kingdom purposes, which we'll see in a moment, always, always includes the saving of souls. When we prayed for the homeless shelter, Regina, we're fully aware that the primary purpose is a warm bed and a hot meal. That's our earthly purpose. But we know also that the reason we're going in there is because we want to introduce people to Jesus because he's their ultimate hope. He's the one who will deliver them from these things. The government will not. The government may help. Science may help. Medicine may help. But that's not their deliverer. Jesus is their deliverer. Jesus is the deliverer. God will go to great lengths to accomplish his kingdom purposes through his committed followers. God's kingdom purposes always include the saving of the lost. Maybe not exactly directly, or at least we don't see it, but at least indirectly, God's plan is always the lost will come to know him. Let's take a look at the jailer's response in all of this. The one who's responsible for the prisoners. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. He drew his sword to kill himself. Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? God's amazing. The jailer assumed the prisoners had escaped. He drew his sword to kill himself because he knew if the prisoners had escaped, he would be executed. He'd rather take his own life than face the Roman, however they were going to do it, the Roman government. But Paul stopped him. Don't kill yourself. Don't take your own life. And by the way, don't ever take your own life. No matter how bad things seem to get, don't ever take your own life. God has a plan for you no matter how bad things seem to get, no matter what mess you may have gotten yourself into, don't take your own life. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. What? None of the prisoners left. None of the prisoners escaped. They voluntarily remained. That's kind of strange. Hardened criminals, hardened criminal minds, some of them on death row, Not taking the opportunity to flee into the night and be free? What's that all about? Well, I'm guessing it had something to do with Paul and Silas praying, worshiping, and singing in the midst of all that persecution because it says very clearly the prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners were listening intently to what was going on. Perhaps the prisoners saw something different, maybe even attractive, in these Christ followers. Something that they desired in their own lives. They wanted some of that. Enough that they didn't f- flee to gain their freedom, but to stay and find out what this was about these two guys. I mean, the ink on the page, get below that, that is saying something. Something. And scripture goes to say, goes to, says in here, we are all here. None of them left, took advantage of that jailbreak in Philippi. So the jailer, he brings everybody out, and he's amazed, and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Classic, right? What must I do to be saved? The jailer had never seen anything like this before either, just like the prisoners. He saw something different and attractive in these Christ followers. And he wanted some of that. Just a real quick story of my testimony. Some of you know it and some of you don't. I was totally unsaved. I was as unsaved and unlike a Christ follower as you could get. And then in 1979, Afghanistan invaded Russia. I knew just enough about Revelation to think that was the the northern bear or the great bear coming down from the north scared me to death. I talked to a guy at work about it, and he looked at me, and he said, Hub, if you knew the Lord, you wouldn't have to be afraid. I was like, hmm. Deb and I had a business. It was called Hub and Deb's Organic Produce. We grew produce, and we trucked it into the Columbia Farmer's Market, and I was there one day, and... Uh, one of the Mennonite ladies from the Wogamoose meat and cheese stand came over. And I was telling everybody, and I said to her, did you hear that Russia invaded Afghanistan? I'm pretty sure this is the end. Uh, the bear is moving down and blah, blah, blah. And she looked at me, and she said, Hub, if you knew the Lord, you wouldn't have to be afraid. I'm like, Ching. Two people said the exact same thing. I watched their lives. And I knew they had something that I didn't have, and I wanted it. And that was a relationship with Jesus, and it happened about a month later in January of 1980. That's what was going on here. They saw this huge difference, Christ in Paul and Silas, and they were attracted to it. And they were willing to risk their freedom, willing to risk not taking his own life and being killed by the Roman government to find out what this was that drove these men. Amen? Amen. They saw Christ. They saw his love. They saw his power. They saw his authority operating in Paul and Silas. Greater than anything they had ever experienced before. Greater than the gods of this fortune teller, Apollo and Zeus and the deities of Greek. They'd never seen anything like this. Poor English, but they had never seen anything like this. And they wanted some of it. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Prisoners, why haven't you left? We want some of that too. The result of all this. Paul and Silas replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. In the midst of this bad news, and it, it, was, it, it was bad news. Then it was worse news. In the midst of all this persecution. In the midst of all this adversity. In, all, in the midst of all these, opposi- all these obstacles and opposition to try and serve Christ. Paul and his companions continued to do what they had resolutely set out to do. They continued to do what Jesus had commissioned and assigned them, and us, to do. Tell others about Jesus. It's as simple as that. Nothing deterred, distracted, or derailed those guys from that mission. They traveled to Philippi to seek and to save those who were lost, just like Jesus came to earth to do. They traveled to Philippi to set the captives free, and they literally were. They, f- they traveled to Philippi to deliver the oppressed from Satan, from the devil, from the evil one, and the sin in which he ensnares us in our lives. <coughs> and Paul and Silas were seeing it happen. Lydia and her household, remember Lydia way back, the businesswoman at the prayer meeting, and her household, the fortune tower the jailer and his household, the prisoners from the dungeon. That's the core group that formed this Testament church in Philippi. Kind of like us. (laughs) These and then many other folks were the ones to whom Paul wrote the letter to Philippians. So now when you read the letter of Philippians, you get a feel for who he was writing to. You know, all these experiences he had in Philippi and getting this, start church, this church started. Now, when you read the letter to, Philipp, to the Philippians, you know it's, hey, he wrote that to Lydia. And he wrote that to that fortune tower that was saved. And he wrote that to the prisoners. And he wrote that to the jailer in his household. Some concluding thoughts from Acts 16, 16 through 18. This, is, this first statement is hard for us. Even when we are faithfully on mission with Christ, we have no guarantee that we won't face opposition. I'll sign on if it's going to be an easy road. Even when we're on mission with Christ, doing everything right, we're in his will, we're exercising his authority, we have no guarantee we won't face opposition or consequences. We've seen that many times in Acts. We see it again in our text today. But we do have guarantees. The first guarantee is in Matthew 28. Jesus is with us. You say, well, that's not much of a guarantee with what they suffered. Oh, If you know Jesus, that's a guarantee. Jesus is with us. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. And be sure of this, guarantee. Be sure. You can bank this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Classic scripture on mission in the Bible and the connection of mission to the authority that we have in the name of Christ to deliver others Jesus said, "I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples. By virtue of the fact I have authority, you can now go and you can dissemble, disassemble Satan's kingdom and you can set the captives free because of the authority that I gained on the cross. I have authority, I'm giving you authority. You go do this." And it comes with a guarantee. If you go do this, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Be sure of this. I guarantee you, I will be with you always. Even in a dungeon in Philippi, I will be with you, and you might be surprised at what I do. So many verses we could use here to support this truth. How many times have you read in Scripture, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I will never abandon you? No matter what level of opposition we face, he guarantees to be with us in it. Not only does he guarantee to be with us, and this is the second guarantee, he will bring bring about great good through it. Two verses to support this, one in the New Testament, one in the Old. We know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together for good as a plan. For those who love God, to those who are called according to his plan and his purposes. And we know with great confidence, it's a guarantee, you can be sure of it, you can bank it, from him who cannot lie. He causes all things to work together for good as a plan. He will bring about great good from any situation, any circumstance, even opposition, even persecution to the gospel. He will bring about great good, he promised to. He guaranteed it. He's never caught off guard. He's never caught unexpected. We are. He's not. Paul and Silas probably were. They figured they'd exercise that demon and, and then get back to church. Instead, they exercised the demon and they landed in jail. That didn't catch God off guard. He wasn't surprised at what happened to them in Philippi. He worked it into the plan. And he worked the plan for great good. Are you with me? Well, do you believe me? Or at least do you believe the word? The next thing is we need to start living what we believe. If we really do believe it, we need to live what we believe. He is not surprised at what you are facing right now in your life. You think he may have forgotten about you, but he hasn't. You think this caught him off guard and it shouldn't be happening, but that's not true. He is not surprised at what's going on in your life right now. And as you are on mission with him to tell others about about Jesus, he's going to bring great good from what you're facing. I'll believe that when I see it. Friend, you'll see it when you believe it. Way back to Genesis, first book of the Bible, 50-20. One of my favorite verses for some reason. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God's kingdom purposes are always for the saving of life, the saving of souls. Anything else is not of God. Man, I could say so much about that in our current culture today. People are speaking death sentences over our nation and death death sentences over our citizens. And it has to stop. That's not of God. When you hear death and destruction, sickness and stuff like that being spoken out, that's not of God. That's a curse being put on it. It needs to stop. We need to take a stand against it as the church. Be that as it may. I just want to briefly explain the setting of this verse because it's important. There was this man, Joseph. He had a dream from God that he would be used greatly of God. He told his brothers, "Eh, mistake. His brothers got jealous. They tried to kill him. Instead of killing him, though, he got sold into slavery in Egypt by an act of God. God blessed him greatly in Egypt and all was going well. He was the head man in, in Potiphar's house, an Egyptian official. But all of a sudden, he was accused unjustly by a leader's wife, and he went into prison. He helped the guy out in prison, got him set free, asked the guy to put in a good word for him, and the guy forgot. Joseph was in prison. Does anybody know how long Joseph was in prison? Thirteen years. Man, I've been praying for six months and nothing's happened. But then God intervened on his behalf. You should read the story. God delivered him from prison. Joseph became the second most powerful man in the land of Egypt, just like he saw in his dream all those years ago when he knew that God was going to use him greatly. But he had to go through the treachery of his brothers, put down a a well and left to die. Pulled out of the well, sold into slavery. Things started going well there. Then somebody accused him unjustly. He was thrown in prison. It looked like he was going to get out. But that guy forgot about it. But eventually, in God's timing, God intervened on Joseph's behalf and he blessed him greatly. So... After all that, Joseph is now the most powerful, second most powerful leader in Egypt. His brothers have to come to him for supplies. You need to read the story. And that's when he says this to his brothers. You intended to harm me. By the way, he completely forgave his brothers. He said, you intended to harm me. But like, look. God intended it for great good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. Many people in Egypt and the surrounding countries did not starve to death in the famine because of Joseph's wise leadership. But it took him 13 plus years to get there. And on the way there, it looked like anything but he'd be used of God greatly. Some of you are right there right now. Some of you have words, visions, dreams, promises from God of what he's going to do, but you're in a period where it looks exactly the opposite of that. You have two choices. You can choose not to believe that that was true and then never see it happen. Or you can choose to believe to persevere and fight through and see what God does on your behalf. God promises to work all things together for great good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purposes, to those who are on mission with him. Here's a summary of today's message. We are guaranteed, no matter what, circumstances, situations, no matter what, he is always with us. We are guaranteed, no matter what, circumstances, Um, situations adversity persecution opposition easy to stand here and preach it much harder to go through it but it's still true we are guaranteed he will bring about great good from any situation or circumstance we face we're going to stop there today with these these two concluding thoughts this summary they fit nicely as an application to today's passage You may face, we may face stiff opposition to our gospel and our kingdom work in the days ahead. If you don't think that's true, then we, we, if we don't think that's true, we still have our heads in the sand like an ostrich. We have not been looking around at what is happening in our nation and globally, in Canada, in Australia, in Europe. We may face very stiff stiff opposition in a country where we very rarely faced any opposition. About the stiffest opposition we've ever faced is somebody maybe laughed at us or ridiculed us when we tried to tell them about Jesus. In the days ahead, though, that may change. And it might be good to know this stuff. In those days, he is with us. And in those days, he is guaranteed he will bring about great good. From anything we face. To be forewarned is to be forearmed, church. Brandon, if you'll come. Church, if you'll stand with us again, as we did when Ray read. Sonny, bring the band forward. And as we all get settled and situated and you have everybody's attention, then lead us in prayer.
1: Heavenly Father, you're so good. Your promises are always true. Promises are always true for your people, regardless of where they are in life, what choices they've made, what they're going through. Your promises are true. Your promises are true. We can't ruin your promises that are in your word. We can't make them not true, at least, Father. Thank you so much for that. Father, it really stands out to me what Hub said about um, needing to know this kind of stuff in the time ahead. We can be men of Issachar and understand the times and and apply your word properly. And and we look around and we see that you are moving and you're going to be moving more. We hear your people speaking that and we see you moving. Um, But we also know that the enemy sees that the enemy sees the spiritual realm better than we do, and we see the enemy's activity kicking up. Um, so these truths, we need to know, Father. We need to know that you're, um, that you're always good, that you're going to work things out for your glory, for those who, are, who love you and are called according to your purposes. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And their faith in you and their trust in you father how they were in front of the furnace going to die going to be thrown into a furnace and burned to death that was the fate they they probably saw other people die that way they knew that was a thing that that King did they knew what their fate was and they still did not bow the knee and they trusted in you to save them but They told the king that caveat that even if you didn't save them, they would still not worship his idol. So they trusted in you, but there wasn't complete blind, uh, robotic faith in in thinking everything's going to be okay. They knew there was a possibility that they could burn to death in that furnace right then and there, that their life would be over in that minute. But they did not bow down to a false god. They did not give in. To societies screaming for us to to put you aside. They trusted in you and they knew your promises and they knew what they had to do out of obedience to you, what you were calling. Father, I heard a a preacher say recently that if we've surrendered our (laughs) lives to you, surrendered our lives to you, that what do you do when you surrender what you're told? You do what you're told when you surrender. And it's, it's for good things. It's for kingdom purposes. It's for purposes that can only be done through our obedience. Help us, Father, to be obedient to you. There's lives at stake. There are eternal lives at stake. There are, there are situations that can be undone or that, that will be permanent at stake. Give us faith, Lord, to walk that out. Give us joy because the joy of the lord is our strength the joy of the lord is our strength father give us joy to walk out this these these things that you're calling us to father obedience and trust speaking when you ask us to speak sharing christ when you ask us to speak give us joy father and you're good and you have good plans And we're just so blessed and honored beyond words that you choose to complete your will through us. You could do it at the drop of a hat yourself. You could do things. You're omnipotent. You're all-powerful. You could do these things at at the drop of a hat, but you choose to use us. You want to use every single person in this room here today for your purposes. You have very specific assignments, Lord. For each person here, you've geared hundreds of years around appointments that you have for people in this room. You've geared situations and scenarios for hundreds of years, maybe even beyond that, Lord, to, to come to a point that we can walk in obedience, to that point where you're asking us to step out. Give us faith, give us strength, help us to be strong and courageous, and we praise you that you're a good, good God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at
0: blesscolumbia.org.